The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went out to be registered to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the end. Join me in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for you and for this Advent season, this season of joy and um, giving and for love coming up um, next week as we celebrate Christmas. Um, God, we are so thankful for your gift to us of your son. And um, I pray that you will remind each of us of that um, incredible gift and make that just real in our life um, this next coming week as we are preparing for family and friends um, and just that amazing communion time with you. Um, God, I pray that you will prepare us as we listen to Randall give your message. Um, I pray that we will be attentive to what you are teaching us um, today and each and every day. Um, In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Bethany. Good morning, everyone. So uh, it's almost Christmas. Isn't that crazy? Time flies by, and we are in the middle of our series right now called uh, Jesus Our King. And we've been talking over this Advent season about how Jesus uh, was not just uh, a man who walked this earth, but was, is the king. He's the king of all creation. Um, he is God. And uh, those are pretty huge, lofty concepts, um, but we find them all throughout Scripture. And so if you have your Bible today, you can open up to Luke 2. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Luke 2, uh, 1 through 7. And we're going to break down this passage of Scripture. And we're going to be talking about the birth of a king. What did Jesus' birth look like? Um, And then from that, we're going to learn a little bit about uh, what kind of king Jesus is. Uh, Famous television and radio host Larry King Um, who's had countless interviews with people, was asked, in all of history, who would you want to interview? And quickly he said, Jesus Christ. So his next question that that was asked to him was, well, okay, uh, why would you want to ask, you know, Jesus a question? Well, like, what would you ask him? And here's his response. He says, I would like to ask Jesus if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would redefine history for me. Why would it redefine history? Because in King's mind, it would bring to light that Jesus was not just another person like you and me, but he is who he said he was, God. And over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about this idea of Advent, this anticipation of the arrival of Jesus. And Biblically, this idea of the incarnation, God becoming man, that should blow our minds that God would become man. Because here's the thing, no other religious system in the world believes this. 
Now, there are other faiths out there that say that Jesus existed and they believe that Jesus was a good teacher or a good moral person, but no other faith in the world believes that Jesus is God. And today, if you're a Christian, we believe that, again, Jesus is not just a moral person, a good teacher, an influential philosopher, but that he is and was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. See, there is a beauty to that. Because we can say, without a shadow of a doubt, that God can identify with what you're going through. Because he walked in your shoes. He walked in my shoes. See, there was this prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before Jesus' birth. And here's what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. What was God's sign that the king was on his way? What was God's sign that would shake up history? The virgin birth. The books of Matthew and Luke in the New Testament specifically tell us that this prophecy was fulfilled. And today we get to look at Luke 2. You see, and Luke is unique because he, he's the author of this, but he, he, was, he was very meticulous in his detail because Luke was a physician. And his whole aim for writing the book of Luke and eventually the book of Acts was to intentionally root the story of Jesus in history, historical facts. See, the Bible is not a fairy tale, but it invites us to study, to think, to grow. So today, if you're skeptical of, of whether or not that Jesus came, whether he lived, whether he died for sin, or whether he was born as a virgin, today you can lean into that and study. See, the scriptures aren't afraid of that. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. Gregory of Nizinius, um, he, he said this, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. Becoming what he, or remaining what he was, he became what he was not. See, God added humanity to himself in the person of Jesus. And so how does the incarnation, King Jesus' birth, redefine history for us? And so it should redefine it in three ways. Um, here's how it should. How we define our view of truth, how we define our view of love, and how we define our view of rejection. So we think on Jesus, the incarnation, truth, love, rejection. Okay, and so the first one is this, truth. Look at verses one through three. Here's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Many of us will skip over reading something like this because we say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can read that and that's, that's nice and all, but, but what does that mean? Why does, why does Luke give such detail? 
Luke is reinforcing that this is not a work of fiction, but is in fact something that happened within history. He's giving names, he's giving places. See, and as we read the Gospels, that's the thing that, that you'll see all throughout is that it is rooted in places within history where archaeologists can look and see and say, oh, that's where it was. And they make discoveries. See, Luke was very intentional about this. Luke uh, 1, 1 through 2 says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first or first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. This was built on eyewitnesses seeing things that were happening. And so when people would read Luke, they would say, did this happen during that time? And, and if it didn't happen, they would say, well, that's not true. And it wouldn't have had any validity, but it does. Richard A. Burridge He's a professor at King's College in London, said this. He says, there are those who argue that Jesus is a figment of the church's imagination, that there were never, or there never was Jesus, a Jesus at all. I have to say that I do not know any respectable critical scholar who says that anymore. And today you, you come in and you say, okay, well, Jesus was a real person. And, and what was he like? How do I know? There are plenty of resources out there and, and one just short book that could be super helpful for you if you're wondering and saying, okay, is Jesus legit? Is this book um, by Richard Bauckham. It's uh, Jesus, A Very Short Introduction and it's by Oxford Press. Just a short little book. But again, it, it, this is a scholar who, who does research and says Jesus is a historical person. See, here's the thing fairy tales aren't going to change your life and they're not going to change my life. And, and the reason that Jesus came was to change lives. He came to save us from our sins. And so we need something that's real. See, Star Wars is out. And um, here's the thing. The, the, when you look at that, it doesn't read like this. In a galaxy far, far away, scrolling, where is this galaxy? What, when did it happen? You know, like all those things, all those questions that start to pop in your mind. That's not how Luke wrote this. And I'm gonna nerd out a little bit, but just a year ago, you know, as The Force Awakens came out, you get these chills because you have this moment where you're looking and there's that scene in the movie where um, Han Solo and Chewbacca meet Ray and Finn, the new characters. And Ray and Finn, they just think that, uh, you know, the, the force and all that stuff is just, it's just not real. Luke, Skywalker, all these things. And uh, I, I love the scene in the, the film where Han Solo looks back at him. He says, you know, I, I used to wonder about that myself. I uh, thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo, a magical power holding uh, together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Crazy thing is, it's true. And he looks at him, he's at the force, the Jedi, all of it, it's all true. And you look back and you're like, whoa, what? Here's the thing, it's not true. It's a story, it's a fairy tale, but there's something in us that, that, that I got chills, right? Like, ah, oh, I love that. 
I want to believe that it's true. Han Solo was this eyewitness, right? The story. He's telling these characters that it's true. But here's the thing. Today, as we read Luke, we, he talks to eyewitnesses who saw it and, and it, it beckons the same response. That when we hear this, when we see all the detail that's put into this, the thing that should go in the back of our, our, our minds is this, that it's true. All of it, it's, it's true. But I have facts to back it up. See, it should redefine how we view truth. Here's my point. What would we listen to the eyewitnesses today that beckon for us to hear something that's true? It's not just a made-up fairy tale, but Jesus came into history. And so from the truth, the second part we learn is, is love. Look at verses seven, uh, four through seven. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. What, what do we learn from, from this? That this story is not just some rosy, nostalgic story, but it's very raw, it's very gritty. There's a lot happening in these passages here as we read through it. Because as I was studying this week, the, the thing that I put right next to my notes here in my Bible is this, it was God's timing. It was God's timing. In the midst of thinking, okay, Mary's about to have a baby. And now they've got to go on this 80 mile journey, traveling pregnant. I think it's bad when I have to travel in a minivan with my three kids on a trip that's two hours. Because at some point they're going to be screaming, somebody's going to be fighting in the back, right? But they're traveling 80 miles pregnant. And you think about this story, the, the, the timing of, of real world responsibilities. They've got to get there because they've got to register. And Jesus is going to be born and Mary is going to be far from her family. Like, like what, what, is, what, what is all of this? This is a relentless story of love. Leon Morris, commentator, says this, that Mary wrapped the child herself points to a lonely birth. Jesus didn't get this grand entrance into the world, but it was in the midst of darkness, trial, pain. Why did he do it? Love. 
You see, you and I, in the midst of our struggle through life, I love um, Christina Gore. She, she does the, she's, she's our city groups coordinator, but she does this blog. It's called Messy Tired Love. That's the name of the blog, and it's about being a mom. Messy, tired love. And when we look at this story, that's what we should see. Messy, tired love. Jesus is royalty, yet his birth looks anything but royal. See, it was, it was in love that God chose to speak through a baby in a barn, not a king in a castle. And it was in love that God took on the fullness of the pains in this world. See, when we talk about God becoming human, Luke 2, 7 says Jesus was born. This was before epidurals. Remember my wife, when having her first, she's like, Yep, I'm going for it. Sorry, you know, like before any of those things, but Jesus was born in pain. John 4, 6 says he grew tired. John 19, 28 says he grew thirsty. Matthew 4, 2 says he grew hungry. Matthew 4, 11 says he became physically weak. Luke 23, 46 at the end of this. Gospel of Luke says he died. He died. See, this is very practical when it comes down to the hurts and pains that Jesus experienced. In love, God became powerless so that we could experience his love and his grace. See, when God came down, he didn't come down in the way he deserved. Why? so that he could treat us in ways that we don't deserve. That's the gospel. Dorothy Sayers, a a British essayist and detective novelist once said, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it well worth his while. See, Jesus loves us at the deepest level. And it's not a a generic love because even when we look at, you know, we say, well, God just loves the world. God loves us. Here's the thing. My son was asked recently, he said, okay, what, what are you thankful for? He said, I'm just thankful and I just love every person in the world. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But it just, we were like, what but like specifically, like, what do you, what do you love? Because I, I'm pretty sure you don't love everybody in the world. There are times where it's irritating and it's difficult and all that. And so, so you should like, I told him, I was like, you got to be more specific about what you love. And that's the thing. Jesus 
came and he was very specific about his love. He was very specific about what he was willing to sacrifice in love for us. You see, God's love isn't generic. It, it cost him something. He understands. And this is the uniqueness of the Christian message. Hebrews 2.18 says this, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Like how can God relate to us when we're going through struggles, difficulties in life? It's because he went through it himself. And ultimately this king that comes in the second part of verse seven, it says that he faced rejection. Rejection. Look at verse seven, second part. It says, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, why, why is this detail put in here? There could be a lot of different reasons, but, but here, here's something to think on because, because it, it helps us. Jesus did not come for himself. He didn't come for himself. See, this, this is not how a king should be treated. To be rejected, to have no place to, to lay his head. But that, that's what we see throughout Jesus' life. And God chose to make it this way. He came. He came for us in our brokenness. So much so that he would be born into brokenness. He came for the lonely, the hurting, the lost. He came for the rejected. See, as we think about this time, this year, this season, like, I know that as I get older, there's only gonna be, if I don't have Jesus, more loss, more hurt, more pain. That's just the reality. I know that. I guess as a pastor, I kind of get this front row seat to that because I see people. I work with people and I love people. And what I know is that those things, as I get older, they're going to leave. And it's only going to feel more and more in life like a rejection, a rejection, a rejection, a rejection. Unless I know the one who was rejected for me. Because it's Jesus that, that changes that rejection into being received. It changes just the, the short time that we have here into eternity. It changes the death that we see into life. He came rejected so that we could be received. William Barclay on this verse says that there was no room in the inn was symbolic of what was to happen to Jesus. The only place where there was room for him was on a cross. He sought an entry 
to the overcrowded hearts of men, he could not find it. And still his search and his rejection go on. See, it's when we receive the rejected one that we find what life is really about. And in this season, in this time, you might feel rejected, but I want you to look to the one who was rejected for you and for me. See, Matthew 21, 42 says this, and Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This whole path of, of kingship and the way that Jesus arrived into the world, it was all God's doing. And it was so, so that we who look upon it, we can say, okay, I receive that or I reject it. And as we think upon Jesus this time of year, would we receive it? What would it look like to receive it? So just some helpful takeaways so we can process that. The first one is this. Has the truth of God's love become personal for you? You say, well, how's that possible? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at, look at the length of, in which God would, would run after us, would pursue us. To be born rejected, to go to the cross. Could we just ponder that for a minute and think, wow, God, I can't believe you did that. And it's, again, it's not a generic thing but it's personal. It's taking it from God died for the world to God died for me. God had to come for me. God had to rescue me in the place that I was. Has the truth of God's love become personal for us? And would we allow it today to become personal? The second is this, are there any areas of your life where Jesus has no room? You know, we think about that little phrase at the end because there was no guest room available for them. And we think about that personally and what does that mean for our hearts or our lives? You know, the, the story of Jesus, again, it's just, it's, it's not a rosy, feel-good story. It's, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain in the midst of it. And you say, well, I look at my life and there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain. Would you let Jesus come in and restore that? Would you let Jesus come in and put some things together? Well, not that part of my life, not that part of my history, not, not where, you know, it, things used to be this way, but now they're this way. whether it be your marriage, whether it be relationships, broken places. Say, there's no way that God could fix that. 
Would you allow him room to come in and work? Because that's what he came for. See, there's, a, there's this beautiful scripture that Jesus says. He says, you know, I, I didn't come for the healthy. The, the healthy, they don't, they don't need a doctor. I, I came for the sick. I came for the broken. I came for the messy and the tired. And I came to love them right in the midst of it. See, I really want us to think on Jesus. Isaiah 53, two through six says this. This is Jesus's life. It was predicted hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. But here's what it says. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We all turn every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's this song. I remember a long time ago as a kid hearing it. It's by a guy named Michael W. Smith. And uh, it still gets me. It still gets me every time. He's talking about Jesus. He says, like a rose trampled on the ground, he took the fall and he thought of me. Would you let that sit in your heart for a minute? That's the weight of the incarnation. That's the weight of a king coming for his people. That's the weight of, of like it says in Hebrews 12, that, that the archegos, the, the, the author and the perfecter coming. It's like this visual of him like charging into battle. Lord of the Rings style, just going for it. And he's at the front. And he says, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna sacrifice. And he's the king. And he's at the front of the pack. Died for us. That's the gospel, friends. And if you've never received that, that king, the king that's based in history, the king that lived, died a gruesome death for our sins, today I invite you to receive him. Say, there's room in here. Lord, I'm yours. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit works in a profound way and that, God, you move in our hearts. We're just in awe of you. I pray that we are a church that is in awe of who you are, what you've done. Lord, 
All glory to Jesus Christ. We want to lift up his name. We want to, to, to feel the weight of what these words are saying. They're not just words on a page. God may have just uh, pierced us to the heart. Like, like it said, it just pierces us to the very core of who we are. And we know that there's a king who loves us. There's kings that have come and gone in this world. But this is a king who loves us. And so, Lord, we just fall at your feet today. And may we worship you for who you are, who you say you are in your word, the king of all creation who came down to rescue us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.